You see, because of how well he started and because of how far he fell, Saul is known today as one of the biggest disappointments in all the Bible. He is known as one of the biggest failures in all of the scriptures. And the question we want to answer this morning is why? Why was he such a failure? Why was he such a disappointment? Why do we as Bible students only think negatively whenever we hear his name? Why is Saul the king of failures? Well, I want to submit to you that there are at least four reasons why Saul is the king of failures. First, one of the reasons why Saul is the king of failures it's because according to what the scripture tells us, he failed to obey. He failed to obey the Lord. He failed to obey Jehovah. This is something that we can learn about him all throughout his reign. But due to time this morning, I just want to focus on one very specific example. And it's found in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15. Please look in your Bibles at 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, and let's start with verse number 1. Let's read the first three verses of 1 Samuel chapter 15. In 1 Samuel 15 and verse 1, the Bible says, Then Samuel, the prophet of God Samuel, he said to Saul, and Saul is king at this time, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Verse 3, Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. I want you to notice the very clear instructions that God gives Saul. Do you see that? Let me ask you a question. Does any of this seem complicated? Does any of this seem difficult to understand? Does any of this seem like rocket science? Let me tell you something. I'm not the most intelligent person in the world. But none of this seems difficult to understand to me. None of this seems like rocket science. None of this seems very hard to understand. Here, God is giving Saul some very clear instructions. Here, God is telling him that I want you to go to the Amalekites and I want you to wipe them out. I, I, I want you to utterly destroy them. I want you to make sure you kill everyone and I want you to kill everything. Those were the clear instructions that God gave him, right? The question is, did Saul do Exactly what God told him to do. Well, the answer is found in verse 8. Look at verse 8. After receiving the instructions from the Lord through the prophet. In verse 8, it says, Saul did this. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But, the people, but Saul and the people spared Agag. 
and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Notice how when it comes to answering the question of, did Saul do exactly what God said? The answer is no. No, Saul did not do everything God said. He did not utterly destroy everyone and everything. Instead, he spared the best of everything. He, he spared the best of the lambs and the oxen and the sheep and everything else that was good. He even spared the king. He even spared King Agag. He clearly did not do what God said. And listen carefully, brothers and sisters, that is the main reason why God fired him. That is the main reason why God fired him as a king. The main reason why he was dismissed as king by God is because he never quite grasped the importance of obedience. It wasn't because God didn't like him. It wasn't because God didn't love him. No, the main reason why he was fired is because he never quite grasped the importance of obedience. I think you see that when you keep reading the text. Verse 10. After we learn about Saul's disobedience in verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, the prophet. This is God speaking to Samuel. He says, I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commandments. Do you see it there? And Samuel was distressed, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Then he turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Notice the main reason why this man was dismissed and fired by God is because he failed to obey God. He failed to submit fully to the will of God. Saul failed to obey. But not only did he fail to obey, a second way in which he failed is he also failed to be humble. He, he failed to be humble. And I think this is an interesting point. You know, it is interesting how when we are first introduced to, to Saul in, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, he seemed to be a pretty humble man, right? Remember when we were first introduced to Saul, he, he seems to be a meek man. He's, he's hiding among the luggage that people can't find him. When, when the prophet is ready to anoint him as king, he seems to be the kind of person that has an attitude that says, I, I can't believe God is picking me. I can't believe God is picking me to be a king. Saul appears to be very humble in his beginnings, but once he became the king, once he experienced some military success and, and once he heard a few compliments from the people, then he got the big head, then he changed, then he clearly became an arrogant man, didn't he? I think we see that here in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 12 where the scripture says that after disobeying God, Saul set up a monument to honor himself. But, but then even a better example I think we have of this is in the previous chapter in 1 Samuel 14. 
Now, due to time, we, we won't read that, that section this morning, but if you go home today and you read 1 Samuel 14, starting with verse 24 and going through the rest of the chapter, there in that section, you're going to read about a time when Saul made a very foolish decision. He gave a very foolish order. He actually ordered the men in his army as they were going out to battle the Philistines. He gave an order that said that nobody in his army was to eat any food until the Philistines were defeated. He says, I don't want anybody in my army to eat anything until the Philistines are defeated. That were those were the instructions he gave to his army. But evidently his son, Jonathan, he didn't hear the order. Jonathan didn't hear those instructions given by his dad, Saul. And so the Bible says that Jonathan, when he got hungry, he found some honey and he tasted it and he got strength and he continued to fight. In fact, the Bible says that Jonathan fought better than everybody else on that occasion. And once Saul found out about that, once it was exposed that Saul had given a foolish order to starve out his army and they would have done better if they had eaten like Jonathan. Once that was exposed, Saul got angry. Saul got furious. In fact, he got so furious that he wanted to kill his own son. He was actually the kind of man who would rather murder his innocent son instead of admit he made a mistake. And have you ever met somebody like that before in your life? You ever met somebody who has so much ego and they had so much pride that they rather do some evil than admit that they made a mistake? You ever met somebody like that before? If you have, guess what? You've met somebody like Saul. Saul was a man who failed to obey. And he failed to be humble. And then thirdly, he also failed to accept responsibility. Specifically, Saul was a man who failed to accept responsibility for his sins. This is something that I think we see when we go to 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter. Go in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, chapter 13. Here, at the beginning of 1 Samuel 13, we find Saul leading the Israelite army, 3,000 Israelite soldiers out to battle against the arch rivals of Israel, the Philistines. He's leading an army, 3,000 men, out to battle against the Philistines. This is a military campaign, and in the beginning of this campaign, Saul has some success. Saul and his army are actually able to destroy a Philistine garrison. This is a very successful campaign in the beginning. In fact, it is so successful that notice what it causes the Philistines to do. Look at verse, verse number 5. 1 Samuel 13 and verse 5, now the Philistines assembled to fight Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people like the sand, which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped in Michmash east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard pressed, 
Then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and cellars and in pits. Also, some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. Now, I didn't do that well in math when I was in school. I was terrible in math, okay? And I'm still terrible. I can count money and that's about it. But even though I didn't do well in math when I was in school, I don't think you got to have a PhD in math to realize that the number of Philistines going out against Israel, according to verse 5, the the number of Philistines mentioned there is a whole lot more than the number of people in Saul's army, according to verse 2. Do you see that? Last time I checked, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen And people like sandwiches on the seashore in abundance is a lot more than 3,000. Saul and his army are clearly outnumbered on this occasion. In fact, they are so outnumbered that they become very afraid. They're very afraid on this occasion. In fact, verse 7 says that they are so afraid that they start running. Saul and his army, Saul's army, they start fleeing. They, they run across the Jordan. They, they start hiding. They're, they're terrified. And that makes Saul very nervous. He's very nervous now. And so in verse 8, it says this. Verse 8 says, Now he, Saul, waited seven days according to the appointed time by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Isn't that how it works sometimes? And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, well, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not asked favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you've acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as the ruler of his people because you have not kept the word which the Lord commanded you. I want you to notice a couple of very important things from this text. First, I want you to notice how, as we said before, after seeing how outnumbered they are, the people in Saul's army, they start running. They are running for their lives, and that makes Saul very nervous. He's very nervous at this point. In fact, he is so nervous that he does something that he does quite often in his life, and that is he disobeys God. He disobeys the Lord. Instead of waiting for Samuel to come and offer the sacrifice before Israel went out to battle, Saul takes matters into his own hands and he offers it himself. He is so consumed with having good karma 
But for going out to battle, that he does something that he has no authority to do. He does the work that is specifically assigned to a priest. He offers the sacrifice. He disobeys God. And on top of that, he also comes up with an excuse as to why he disobeys God. When confronted by Samuel, instead of saying, Samuel, I messed up. I made a huge blunder. I've sinned against God. Instead of confessing his sin and admitting his failure, the Bible says, Saul said, I had to do it. I had to do this, Samuel. I had to do this because the people in my army, they were running and, and scattering all over the place, and, and I didn't think you were going to show up. On this occasion, Saul clearly has... An excuse, a poor excuse as to why he disobeyed the Lord. And not only do we find him doing that here in 1 Samuel 13, but we also find him doing that back in chapter 15. Remember in chapter 15, look at verse 13. After God told Samuel that Saul had disobeyed him and then utterly wipe out the Amalekites, in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 13, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the commandment of the Lord. That, brothers and sisters, is a big fat lie. That's just a big fat lie. He did not carry out the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? I'm not supposed to hear sheep. And the lowing of the oxen, which I hear, Saul said, They have brought them. They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. The people spare the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But, but, but the rest we've, we've utterly destroyed. Notice how when asked by Samuel, why didn't you obey the Lord? Why am I hearing animals I'm not supposed to hear right now? After questioning him about what he had done, Saul pointed the finger. He passed the buck. He, he, he blamed the people. He, he said the people, the, the people made me do it. The, the people are responsible for this. The people were the ones who, who wanted to, to give God everything, the God the best of everything as a sacrifice. They were the ones who, who wanted to spare the best of everything. Saul's a man full of excuses. Do you see that? He failed to accept responsibility for his sins. And that leads us to the next part in which he failed. He also failed to trust God. He failed to trust God. You see, instead of trusting in God, you know what Saul was? He was a man full of fears. He was a man full of fears. In fact, fear was really at the core of his failures. Fear was why he failed to go out and fight the Philistine giant Goliath and the shepherd boy David had to in 1 Samuel 17. Fear was why he murdered innocent priests in 1 Samuel 22. Fear was why he consulted with a witch or a medium in 1 Samuel 28. Fear was also at the core as to why he offered that sacrifice back in 1 Samuel 13. 
You see, the reason why he didn't wait for Samuel to show up like he was supposed to is because he was afraid. He was afraid of what might happen to him and his army if the sacrifice wasn't done before they went out to battle. Fear was at the core of that. And fear was also at the core of the blunder he makes here in 1 Samuel 15. In fact, look at verse 24. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 24, after being rebuked by the prophet Samuel, it says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I what? I feared the people. I feared the people and listened to them. But it's how Saul himself admits that the reason why he didn't do what God desired, the reason why he didn't obey God is because he was afraid. He had fear. He feared the people. He caved into the pressure from the people. He was a man who clearly did not trust God. Instead of trusting the Lord, he played off his fears. He played off his worries and his anxieties. He allowed fear and worry and anxiety to cripple him in his service for the Lord. He clearly was a man or a king. Of so many failures. The question, though, is this. What can we learn from him? What can we learn from his disappointments? What can we learn from the failures of Saul? But I want to suggest that there are at least three important lessons that we can learn from the king of failures. First, from Saul, the king of failures, we learn a lesson about obedience. We learn a lesson about the need to always obey God, to always make sure that we do the will of God. This is something, my friends, that I really want us to emphasize right now because I strongly believe that this is the main reason why Saul is mentioned in the Bible so much. And I want you to think about this critically. Think about it. There were a lot of kings, there, or there are a lot of kings mentioned in the Bible, right? There are a lot of kings. There are a lot of kings who reigned over Israel. There are a lot of kings who reigned over Judah. There are a list of kings over Israel listed all throughout the Bible. There are a lot of kings mentioned in the scriptures, but very few of them are given the same level of attention as Saul, right? Saul is mentioned in the Bible over and over and over again. And I believe one of the main reasons why he is mentioned so much is because God wants us to get this right here. God wants us to really understand that it is absolutely critical that we obey him. He wants us to get it immersed in our minds that if we don't make it our top priority to do exactly what he says in his word, if we don't make, our, make it our top priority to read his word and study his word and accurately apply his word, then we're never going to find favor with him. We're never going to be pleasing in his eyes. This is something that was, that, that was emphasized for us in, in our scripture reading this morning by brother, by brother Zach, right? 
Look back at 1 Samuel 15, 22. Remember what Samuel said to Saul? 1 Samuel 15, 22. Has the Lord as much delight in, birth, in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? The implication of that is, no, he doesn't. The Lord wants obedience before animal sacrifices. Obedience. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And the heed and the fat of rams for rebellion is as a sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Notice how the main thing God wants from us is not lip service. It's not just claiming to love God, claiming to be loyal to God, claiming to be a Christian or a disciple. No, the main thing God wants from us is obedience. He wants us to obey him, to do exactly what he says. That is the main way in which we show God that we love him. Jesus said that in John 14, verse 15, when he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. From Saul, we learn that, don't we? From Saul, we learn that we got to always we got to always obey God. And if we don't obey God, a second lesson we learn from Saul is our excuses for not obeying God, they're not going to cut it. They're not going to cut it with God. Remember, after each blunder committed by Saul, he always had an excuse, didn't he? He always pointed the finger. He always placed the blame at somebody else's feet, whether it was blaming the people he was leading or whether it was blaming Samuel for not showing up when he thought Samuel was going to show up. Over and over again, Saul always had an excuse. He always blamed other people for his mistakes. He always had an excuse. But listen carefully. No matter what excuse... He brought to the table, none of those excuses fly with God. None of those excuses were legitimate in the eyes of God. You see, when it came to God, God never cared about Saul's excuses. The only thing God cared about was Saul's obedience. God cared about his obedience, not his excuses. And we got to understand that same principle is true with us today. We got to understand that on the judgment day, when we stand before God, God's not going to care about our excuses. God's got not, not going to tolerate us standing before him and saying things like, well, God, I, I would have served you better in my life, but. But, but my, my parents didn't, didn't raise me right. My, my parents didn't spend enough time teaching me the Bible. Or, or God, I would have taken gathering to worship you more seriously, but you know, my spouse wouldn't go to church with me or, or my brethren wouldn't treat me right whenever I showed up. Or, God, I would have got baptized for the remission of my sins, but you know, I was just too stressed out doing that whole COVID-19 pandemic. Well, I just didn't have enough time or, or I was just too busy. I was too busy with my job or, or raising my kids or trying to get my college degree. On the judgment day, none of those excuses are going to fly with God. 
on the judgment day, God's not going to want to hear our excuses. Instead, God's going to want to know one thing and one thing only, and that is, did you obey me? Did you do what I said with the time I blessed you with on this earth? From Saul, we see that our excuses, they're not going to cut it. And then finally, we also learn from Saul that when it comes to being God's people and God's kingdom, we can't be people of fear. We can't be people of fear. That is, we can't ever allow fear to prevent us from doing what the Lord has told us to do. If you remember, that's the pitfall that Saul fell into over and over again, right? Remember, Saul always let his fears prevent him from doing what God told him to do. And we got to make sure we're different. We got to make sure that we're people of faith. And not people of fear. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. What did Paul tell Timothy? For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. It is how, no matter what consequences may come our way, no matter what the world may say of us or to us, no matter what the world may do to us, we got to make sure we always have the courage to put God first. We got to make sure we always have the courage to love the Lord, to trust the Lord, to serve him and to do his will. Saul absolutely failed when it came to this. But we got to make sure we're different. Saul was certainly the king of failures. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? He was a king of failures. The question is, what about you this morning? What about you as you examine your life on this day? As you examine your life on this day, do you realize that you also have been failing God? You've been disappointing God. Is that what you realize when you evaluate and look at your own life? We have so that I want to give you some good news. The good news is you're blessed to be here today. The good news is that we serve a God full of grace and love and forgiveness, and if you're willing to come to him and humble yourself before him on this day, he will forgive you and receive you. Whether that means you need to believe in his son, repent of your sins, and obey his commandment to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins, or if you are a child of God that has strayed away from the fold and you need to repent and come back home, whatever spiritual need you may have today, whatever you need to do to make it so that when God looks at you, He's not disappointed and hurt. Whatever that need, whatever that means to you, we want to help you with that. And we will right here and right now as we stand.